It truly is a super Sunday. Title challengers Arsenal get one of their biggest tests of the season so far as they take on Chelsea. Liverpool, no, a defeat at Tottenham, would leave their top four hopes in a serious state of disrepair. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Top class fixture list, top class team, betting behemoth Mark O'Hare has been crunching the numbers in the bet cave. Mark, let's kick off with Chelsea Arsenal. Market can't really split them on the exchange. Chelsea the slight, no, I mean slight favourites at 2.7, Arsenal 2.8. So how do we attack this? Is it a good thing because it lets us bring draw no bet into play and things like that? How do we look to approach this market? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, as you say, it's almost at a pick'em, really. So the market's giving a lot of respect to Arsenal, and I think a lot of it is is deserving too. Really, uh, the way they've played so far this season, there are a few doubts creeping in after a couple of sloppy performances at Southampton and Leeds, but they answered those critics in emphatic fashion, really, with that win against Forest, especially so in the second half. Um, very, very confident and impressive destruction of, of Forest, really. So. Um, and yeah, I mean, Arsenal have been to Chelsea and beaten them three of the last four Premier League meetings and the last two trips to Stamford Bridge too. So the fear factor that was possibly around Arsenal going to, to Chelsea in recent years or, or before uh, before that kind of spell seems to have uh, completely gone, really. Um, so, And then you look at Chelsea and I think you can be asking questions really after that performance they put in against Brighton. They were pounded in that match and I think alarmingly um, they were bullied in midfield, didn't really offer any protection for that defence. There's still obviously a big gaping hole from where N'Golo Kante would normally be. Uh, that is a concern con considering they're playing an Arsenal team who have tended to dominate that area of the pitch so far this season. They're winning the battles um, as well as the sort of flair stakes too. So they've got a lot of protection for their defence. And um, at the minute I've got, yeah, as I say, a few question marks about Chelsea. Uh, Potter's been sort of uh, toing and froing really with his tactical and personnel changes from game to game mostly to keep his team fresh. He's also still trying to find out new ideas, his best team, his, uh, his best system too. So I personally don't like Cucurella or, or Shalabar filling at centre-back in a back three. Um, I'm also not a fan of Sterling utilised wing-back either. But um, yeah, I mean, midfield really is, is the key battle area for Chelsea coming into this match. And um, it used to be an area of strength, or at least defensive it was under Thomas Tuchel as well. But uh, yeah, I sort of doubt Chelsea at the minute, but at the same time, I look at that price and think, do they really deserve to be that big at home to Arsenal? And you look at the facts, really. Chelsea have scored 17 Premier League goals so far this season. Arsenal have hit 30, so that's a huge difference. And Chelsea have only played three opponents in the top eight already this season, and they've only scored 17 goals. The Gunners have scored at least twice on nine occasions. On six matches, they've scored at least three goals as well. So if you look at expected goals, expected points, Arsenal are very much second place across the, across the board behind Manchester City. Chelsea are lagging down the sort of mid-table. You're looking at sort of ninth, really. So obviously those are key underlying metrics that are driving these prices first and foremost, really. So you can't really disagree that the market is wrong here and say that Arsenal don't deserve to be as short as they are. But it does offer a little bit of... Uh, yeah, it does make me sort of feel a bit wheezy at backing Arsenal at those prices. But... I guess from a Chelsea perspective, they're coming into this game about Kante, Fafana, James. I think Kepa's a doubt. Koulibaly picked up a bit of a, a knock midweek as well. So 
I'd be eager to see their team sheet before this match. But at the minute, if I had to, I'd probably look towards Arsenal plus a quarter because you're still getting around 1.75, 1.8, which is fair enough, really. But uh, both teams to score as well has to be considered as well. I think, you know, I think through COVID times, matches between big six teams were, were pretty numb affairs, pretty drab occasions where we were possibly just hammering the unders in each match. Whereas nowadays, I think the big six matches tend to be much livelier, much more to and froing, entertaining. And I think 15 of Chelsea's last 19 home Premier League games now have seen both teams scoring as well. So um, it's a big stat and Chelsea do tend to concede at home, whether it's against uh, big six or bottom half opposition at the minute. So yeah, I expect Arsenal to score. And if they do score, I, I don't see them losing actually. So uh, I've left it alone just because it's a bit, uh, <laughs> I, I'm just not confident backing Arsenal at short prices away at big six teams yet. Trader and tipster Emmett O'Keefe is with us. Emmett, Arsenal got that 5-0 win last weekend. The most ruthless destroyers of Forest since the ousted Brazilian president Jair Bolsonaro. See a bit of satire for you there. It's not all just about football. Uh, Emmett, this feels like quite a big test of Arsenal's title credentials, doesn't it? We know that they can duff up weaker teams at home. We know they've beaten Liverpool at home, so fair play for that. But They've lost at Manchester United already. This is one they, they dare not lose if they want to still be considered as a team that actually could push City. Absolutely. As Mark, as Mark outlined with kind of um, Chelsea's injury problem, this is a major opportunity for Arsenal. Like the, I know people say kind of look balances out over the, end, over the, over the course of a season and all that goes kind of cliches, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they're actually, they're good times to face team. And this is a great time to, for Arsenal to face Chelsea with their injury problems and Graham Potter kind of trying to kind of maybe tr- transition their, their style away from, from Thomas Tuchel. If you look at just the raw expected goal difference numbers this season, and Arsenal have it to be slightly easier fixtures, but they're, they're not far off Man City in terms of expected goal difference now. Whereas Chelsea have like a minus one expected goal. Chelsea are close to mid table. Like the, I think Chelsea Chelsea's form Chelsea's form and and, and squad are both really causes for concern. I would say. I know kind of combined 11 talk is better left to the kind of the clickbait merchants or kind of Roy Keane, Graham Sunes debates, but I would genuinely say I don't think there's a Chelsea player that would get an Arsenal's front four at the moment. I think, and and, and if we're looking ahead to the World Cup, there is no, there is no kind of, there is no football reason to pick Raheem Sterling over Bukayo Saka at the moment. Bukayo Saka is just a superior player. He works harder. He's a better dribbler. He's a more vibrant, he's, he's a more vibrant and kind of, energetic player I would say I just I just think that the, the difference in attacking threat on both sides is really stark like Gabriel Jesus I know he hasn't he's uh, hasn't is on a kind of a is on a kind of a run without scoring but he's still he's still contributing massively I think his hold I, I didn't think he yeah. had this kind of centre forward playing him he's five assists this season I think he, the likely outcome for him if he stays fit I think he'll probably score maybe 12 or 13 goals but he'll get double figure assists and like if, if you have if, if, he, if he hits maybe 25 goal contributions goals and assists like that is their elite numbers and they're re, and as in and there it's kind of like he's a kind of a, a souped up lack from what Lacassette was doing last season he's given them the link of play but also the work rate and the power and the threat in behind Gabriel Martinelli's re, really breaking out I think as um, I was listening to a podcast this week and the, the kind of contributor was kind of saying that outside of Kevin De Bruyne maybe Martin Odegaard is close to the best number 10 in the league and I, I tend to agree with that I think Odegaard's a really really ex- really outstanding player so I think 
while like like Mark said, I think you're probably a little bit hesitant just to tr- trust Arsenal away from home, given what we've seen in past years at the price. If if you were if you were backing any team, I think it would have to be Arsenal. It have to be Arsenal drawn out better, I would say. See, Emmett's allowed to listen to other podcasts. You at home are not. As long as you've listened to these two, maybe I'll allow it. But you have to listen to the Saturday show and then the Sunday show. Master of the Sustainable Edge, Mark Stinchcomb, is in our starting side once again. Stinch, Chelsea smashed at Brighton last weekend. He's trying things, isn't he, Potter? Raheem Sterling at wing-back, he's not really a wing-back, is he? He just happens to be in that area of the pitch. But there are some weird and wonderful things being tried, and some of them are working and some of them aren't. Yeah, for sure. I think injuries has has played its part, as as Mark kind of alluded to, with sort of dragging Cucurella into a centre-back, and then that's dragging Sterling into left wing-back, for example. Yeah, it's it's definitely not ideal. And Rhys James being out to killer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But you, you shouldn't really be, you know, the squad of their size and the amount of money that's been spent. You shouldn't have to rely on the right wing backers to be one of your most creative players, and and you know a significant drop off in in chance creation if he's not available. So that's definitely an area they they certainly need to address. I was quite impressed with Potter's start. You know, they had uh, Milan and uh, Salzburg. And a tricky game in the Premier League, which I forget, but he'd start, he started quite well and the, the process looked quite good. You know, they were creating chances while restricted the, restricting the opposition. But yeah, it just seems to have hit a bit of a, a rocky period. Don't really know what's, what's quite going on there. Obviously, Arsenal a lot more settled, been playing the, the same way for the whole of the season, a very settled, um, settled, uh, team. You know, Ben White is pretty much first choice right back now. Um, you know the the centre back partnership is is uh, sort of going from strength to strength. There, it's just really left back where they've had a bit of problems injury wise, but they've got plenty of players that can that can cover that area. Um, so you can understand why the the odds are how they are with Arsenal. I'd say quite sure, um, but but I I, I can bring bring myself to back them. Um, you know the match is chalked up fifty fifty. The goal line is. Completely 50-50, five to six over under the pair, which, you know, it's basically the, the market sitting on the fence. And uh, that's also what I'm going to do. I think there's, I think there's much, <laughs> there's much better bets the, uh, this, this Sunday because the, the amount of other exciting games is, is incredible. So you can, I think you can start this, you can uh, be cooking the Sunday roast with this in the background and then uh, sit down and have some proper bets uh, the rest of the day. See, we always tell you this. There is sometimes nothing wrong with having no bet whatsoever and just enjoying the game if there's nothing that you really fancy. Uh, This football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, see gambleaware.org. Now, appropriately for Halloween week, Tottenham scared the living daylights out of their fans on Tuesday as they flirted with disaster in the Champions League before they eventually won at the Velodrome against Marseille to actually clinch top spot in their group. Liverpool finished second in theirs despite their win over Napoli. The two teams meet in North London on Sunday. Mark, Liverpool are the 2.22 favourites here. They were held twice by Spurs last season. That price does not seem remotely reflective of where Liverpool are at right now. No, not at all. I'd be running a mile from that price, to, to be frank about it. Um, but I guess if you take a step back, you, you'd probably want to oppose both teams coming into this match, probably, because Spurs, I know they come off that high of, 
or midweek, but uh, they were pretty. That's a good to... Super Sunday tagline, isn't it? Oppose both teams; they're both rubbish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know the conundrum of Tottenham is: is uh, how good are they? Are they actually any good at all? Because they were they were fortunate in midweek against Marseille. Again, we've said that so many times. Uh, don't start playing until the second half, which I guess is similar to Liverpool so far this season, allowing opposition teams the first goal. Uh, now so this is in. what's crazy, right? Sorry, Mark, but you're absolutely right. Like I was at Spurs for their game against Sporting recently in the Champions League. And what was utterly remarkable, it was a game they knew they could go through to the last 16 with a game to spare if they won. Sporting, it's a largely young side, got there. And for the first 15, 20 minutes... Spurs just sat off and let them play. And Sporting should have been nervous, should have been overwhelmed a bit by the crowd, maybe. They're a very good side, Sporting, but, you know, it should have been more stressful than it actually was. First 20 minutes, Sporting were just allowed to play. And you could almost see them looking at each other going, this is far easier than we thought it was going to be. And I'm not sure that's sustainable for Tottenham. And no, he wants to draw teams onto him and hit the space in behind. But they're going to have to mix it up a bit more, aren't they? They have to, yeah. Um, I'm not sure they're going to be able to do a huge amount this weekend because there's no Richarlison, Kulizewski or Son now as well, which is uh, a huge blow, really, because it's kind of ripping out the the the, the front pe- the front uh, the front um, the attacking lineup really, apart from Kane. But uh, yeah, I, I just find Spurs really puzzling at the minute because this is not the the kind of performances we associate Antonio Conte with when he was at Inter Milan. They were much more proactive about their their approach and quite happy to go for teams, whereas Tottenham seem just obsessed with, as you say, inviting teams on and, and trying to play on the counter-attack at the minute. But, uh, yeah, I mean, perhaps stylistically this match will suit them because Liverpool aren't exactly going to sit off them. They're going to sort of take the game to them and there will be opportunities and transitions and there will be space to exploit there. Uh, but as I say, both teams have made remarkably poor starts in the first halves of games, conceding opening goals far too regularly too. And, you know, Tottenham fans are getting agitated, um, sort of likening Conte's reign to Mourinho and Nuno, really, because of the the conservative and conservatism, really. And you can't really disagree with that. It's it's not been apart from the results, which is, has masked everything. It's not been thrilling to watch so far. But uh, yeah, I think the Son injury is a is a big blow. Um, I was quite confident on Tottenham plus a quarter, which I think was a, a nice price. But actually, since the news that he's uh, fractured his cheekbone, is it? Or his, his eye socket? It's his eye socket. I think he's got to have surgery to stabilise that area. So it's a, it's a bit more serious than we thought it was, actually. Yeah, so so following that news, there's been a, a further drift on Tottenham. So you can actually get them plus half a goal on side, around 1.8 in this match, which even without Son is, is quite appealing, actually, because you know, it's very difficult to trust Liverpool at the minute. Their, their sort of diamond shape was exposed by Leeds of all teams last week at Anfield the first home defeat in front of fans for over five years. They're struggling to find their own system to suit. Injuries, lack of balance, you know, you name it, we've, we've sort of mentioned it all, but most alarmingly for me about Liverpool is their defensive numbers. They've had, I think, the best defence, or at least one of the best defences in the division for the last four years or so. They're now ranking 10th for expected goals against, allowing 1.64 per game um, through the first 12-13 games. They've conceded at least one expected goal in every game since August in the Premier League. In the last three games against West Ham, Forest and Leeds, they've given up an average of 2.27 XG. So, you know, if West Ham, Forest and Leeds can create high value chances and opportunities, there's no reason why Tottenham can't. You'd probably say Alisson is the only one of that sort of back back line, that rear guard who's playing above themselves right now or playing anywhere close to par. So I know Spurs have got a, a pretty wretched head-to-head record against Liverpool. But as you say, last year, 
two draws between the two teams. There's no reason why Spurs can't do similar. Liverpool are winless in five away Premier League days this season. They've taken seven points from the last six games. Uh, they just look too short for me, but I think the draw is a big runner again. But uh, yeah, if I had to, I'd be with Spurs plus half a goal. Well, it's worth bearing in mind you can get a £5 free bet by staking a £5 bet builder on Tottenham against Liverpool. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. So what we're going to do for you is put together a little bet builder for this game. Stinch, I'm going to start with you. What would you throw into the bet builder pot for this one? I quite like Tottenham to get over 1.5 cards. They've picked up 26 cards so far in the league this season, so an average of two per game. And I think it will likely play out that they will sit back and try and counter. And if they do take the lead, which Liverpool have been obviously giving up that first goal a lot recently, then they'll be even more compact and try and um, you know stop Liverpool in transition. And I think that with that, you know, the likes of uh, Hoiberg and Bentancur biting in the central midfield field Oliver Skip likes a yellow card even Kane himself likes a yellow um, you've got Romero in defense which is Mark's favorite player for a card so yeah I think there's lots of uh, players there for potentially so I think I think this one uh, doesn't have to rely on game state either I, I think uh, you know as I say Tottenham averaging two cards per game anyway yeah, I think Romero would get booked in a game that was on the moon, just involving himself, to be honest. He's a, a very intriguing player to watch. Uh, Emmett, I'm going to go with you. Yeah, the angle I like here is, like the, I think like the lad to say, you don't need to be a football expert to know the way this game will go in terms of Conte parking the bus and looking for kind of direct balls to kind of Kane and Mora. Um, just one small point here, I just make about Spurs, was that obviously Antonio Conte has forgotten more about football than I'll ever know, but I'm just, just surprised he hasn't tried Jed, Jed Spence at wingback. The, the Tottenham are a team crying out for, I think, pace and kind of attacking out for put from the wingback positions. They aren't really getting that from Ryan Sessegnon, Emerson Royale, and Matt Doherty hasn't played that well since having a having a fairly serious injury. And it does strike you of a bit of a kind of a power struggle within the club with, with Conte maybe not that happy that Spence was signed and wanted kind of a more experienced player. But in terms of kind of bet builder selection, I like Darwin Nunez to have two or more shots on target. It's around 11 to 10 at the moment. Only Mitrovic and Erling Haaland are averaging more shots per game than Darwin. We know that we, we can't kind of get, we can't guarantee his on his finishing by any means, but I think in a game that Liverpool should dominate possession, I'd expect Darwin to get to, to get to get plenty of shots shots off. I think uh, at, uh, at odds against is a little bit of value there. I think Liverpool fans are really starting to warm to Darwin Nunez. He's an absolute wrecking ball in attack. So unpredictable. So uh, I think he's going to be exciting going forward. Mark, what have you got for us? Uh, I'll take Tottenham double chance then. Um, just on the basis that Spur, uh, sorry, Liverpool are just too too short for me at the minute, despite those injuries to, to Tottenham. I think they're more than good enough to take a point, regardless of how they set up in this match. And actually... Um, as I say, I think stylistically it might even suit them to to um, invite Liverpool on, who will be proactive in this match. So, uh, yeah, I'll take uh, Tottenham double chance. Uh, and that comes out at 11-2. to two. So, uh, very intriguing bet builder. We've had some good success with those this season. So, worth keeping an eye on. The Unai Emery era begins. Yes, Aston Villa take on Manchester United, who were in Europa League action in San Sebastian on Thursday. We don't know at the moment how they got on. Emmett Villa are 3.65 here to take the win. Just has that vibe that Emery might be able to organise them, 
make them really difficult to break down. United aren't that fluid at the moment going forwards. Can you see an upset here? Definitely see an upset. I think it's it's kind of a tricky game to call, but I think anyone who watched the United v West Ham game last weekend will be aware this United team is far from the finished article. I think the kind of positive from United fan point of view is that you are seeing kind of player improvements. Diogo Dallo has gone from being a guy who I thought was kind of a mid-ranking fullback who'd, who, who, who wasn't up to this level to being actually a really solid, solid contributor. Some of the defensive headers he made in that game were superb and he looks one of the better one of the better right backs in the league, which I didn't see coming. Um, Martinez at centre back is playing really well. He's kind of all the talk already this season. Him being too sp- small is being is being quashed again. I think he's he's looking excellent. Marcus Rashford's clearly improving in terms of I think you, you, you kind of always always a good sign with the coaches that you're seeing players getting a different aspects of their game. Rashford's heading wouldn't have been a strength of his in previous years, but you're starting to see that see, see that come out last week. And he and he looked a threat in the air and uh, he, he scored he scored an excellent goal. Both Casemiro and Ericsson just bring that kind of different level of quality from what kind of uh, Fred and Scott McTominay brought. But having said all that, United in possession are far from the finished article. We saw West Ham really push them back. And it's never a good sign when a kind of a top team is resorting to long kickouts against a team. West Ham are a decent team. United shouldn't be booting the ball long. I don't think Eric Ten Hag will be happy with them booting the ball long. He looked um, furious, didn't he? I, I, so. I mentioned that in commentary that they were they were winning the game. And deep in the game, he looked utterly furious as if they were 5-0 down because they just weren't playing the way he tells them to play. I think he, yeah, he's very much an ideologue in, in the Guardiola mode. Guardiola mode. He wants to control the game, wants to control possession and have kind of control of the process. And there was no control from United. So I think... So, so that's I, I would I would be backing uh, United at all current price, especially given the importance of the Sociedad game in in midweek, uh, and also Bruno Fernandez after picking up five bookings last weekend won't won't be playing against Aston Villa. But given that there's a bit of an angle, I think of an opportunity in terms of the kind of shot shots markets and the goal score markets in terms of the composition of United's midfield, and I like Fred here in the in the sense that even with when Fernandez has played, Fred has actually averaged one point three shots per game this season compared to 0.5 shots per game and you're in kind of pre- in kind of previous seasons Ten Hag is very much encouraging him to get forward I think especially if Bruno doesn't play we might even see Fred Fred even push further on uh, he's already, he's already found the net this season and maybe uh, more more ambitious punters might have a look at 9-1 on Fred to score any time but he'd be, I think he's 15-8 to, to have a shot on target so I think that's uh, there's a little bit of value there Stinchu Nayemri is a pragmatist at heart. He can play attacking football, but I imagine having not been there very long, the first thing he'll try and concentrate on is trying to make them compact and trying to make them organised. So does that lead to a dearth of attacking opportunities, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think this is going to be a, a tight and a cagey battle, to be honest, which leads me to the bet that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at because I'm surprised that under two and a half goals is the outsider here. It's it's around about evens. So the market is essentially expecting a, you know, three plus goals kind of thing. So I, 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 I disagree with that. Um, you know, Emmett mentioned Bruno Fernandes suspended. Uh, Anthony's a doubt. Uh, Martial's injured. Sancho's currently sick. So, you know, 
lesser options going forward now um, and they weren't you know clicking as you kind of alluded to that well um, going forward they've scored just 17 in the 12 games which is only the 10th best in the league but they are top six for uh, expected goals against so they are restricting the opposition fairly well to high quality chances um, and if you take out the games recently against City, Liverpool and Arsenal, games against kind of fluid sides, United's games have seen just 10 goals in, in seven matches since that kind of reset after the Brentford debacle. So, yeah, I, I think I think with them playing Sociedad Thursday night, and there is kind of a big um, carrot of finishing top of Europa League group now as well. So it could be it could be a game that they put quite a lot of effort into. So it, it could be could be a difficult one to get going. And I think, you know, Emery, first home game, will be um, delighted to probably come away with without a defeat, especially after the way they played away at Newcastle last weekend with shipping four four goals, Villa. Um, and as you mentioned, we know Emery is a, a tactician and he's got a very good record of, of making games tight against United with lesser clubs. You look at him at Villarreal and Valencia going back at quite a while, but in, in the five games he played with those two teams against United, there were just 10 goals. Um, and, and recently in the Premier League, I've mentioned, I think, uh, previous weeks that there's been a lot of under games. So 25 of the last 38 Premier League games have been under two and a half goals, which is 66%. Uh, and I'm taking it one step further. I'm going to go for under 2.75 goals on the exchange around about 1.83. So if there is three goals, I still get half my stake back as well. So I think there's just extra security there. And yeah, I, I couldn't put anyone off maybe going for, for a nil-nil if Emery sets up in a, in a defensive formation. Now, there are some massive derbies this weekend in Europe. Let's head to the Eternal City for Roma against Lazio. Mark, I was looking at expected goal difference, expected point stats in Serie A. I might have misread this, but it looks like Roma are top. Now, I find that quite interesting because they still do seem to have this problem of in big games... They fall a bit short, so they had that game against Napoli. Could have been a draw, but just went against them. Ossiemen scored that brilliant goal. But is that your reading of it? Have they looked to you to be better than their league position suggests? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of hype around Roma this season. And I think largely their performances have, have matched the hype to a certain degree, but they're just falling down, as you say, in key moments. And perhaps Tommy Abraham's lack of form... Um, has contributed to that. I think he's only got three goals so far this season. He's probably hit the woodwork more often than he's scored goals so far this season. He's been quite unfortunate and his lack of confidence is certainly hampering things. But I just wonder whether a bit of a, this match can be a bit of a reset for him, uh, being a, a huge derby against Lazio. Uh, Roma are the nominated home team coming into this match this weekend. And yeah, the data does suggest that they are one of, if not the best team in Italy, which we know Napoli right now are the best team. But Roma are certainly up there in terms of their performances. Um, both teams are involved in big Europa League ties on Thursday night, which are, you know, they have to win for for certain reasons for it. But uh, Roma have the, the easier task at home to Ludogorets, whereas Lazio have to go away to, to finals. So they're away from home. Uh, as well. So, you know, I'm kind of inching towards Roma here, not just because of the data, but also the team news coming into this match. Lazio are going to be missing two of them, key most important, uh, or key most important, uh, most important personnel. Um, Giro Mobile, who's been sidelined for a while, he has trained this week, but it's far too early for him to be involved. So he might be on the bench, but he's not going to be starting. And also Sergei Milinkovic-Savic picked up a, an unnecessary and harsh yellow card last weekend, which 
provoked a lot of fury and frustration from the Lazio camp because it means he's now suspended and absent, which you know robs Lazio of two really, really key players. It means Pedro and Zaccani will probably lead the line. You know, both more than able, more than capable, but certainly not as clinical as Immobile. Uh, and in midfield, Milinkovic Savage in these kind of big games does dominate that area. So they're big losses. Um, and Lazio, after putting in a, a tremendous performance away at Atalanta to win, well, really kind of shocked last weekend to lose 3 1 at home to Salernitana. And it wasn't a. You know, that 3-1 defeat, you know, Salernitana fully deserved that as well. They, they put on a really good show, particularly in the second half. And there is a feeling now that Lazio are overachieving, particularly in a sort of defensive format. If you look at the same sort of underlying metrics, they're ranking ninth on expected points, ninth on expected goals. So their process hasn't been anywhere near as strong. So, yet yeah, Tammy Abraham isn't in form. Uh, there's no Dybala. Spinazzola is probably missing too. But Roma can still call upon Pellegrini, Zaniolo. Uh, and I just think right now they're on a, a much firmer footing. They've got a, a back three and a holding midfielders who know exactly what they're trying to do and how to go about their business. Uh, I just think Mourinho in these kind of big games, you don't really want to oppose Roma, particularly with Lazio, you know, missing those two key players. So I thought the price on Roma to win was, was fair enough, but you can actually get them mi- uh, minus a quarter um, at, uh, at 1.8, which means uh, if the game ends in the draw, we only lose half of our stake with the other half returned. We get paid out if they win at 1.8. These kind of derbies, although played at the sort of same venue where both teams effectively at home, do tend to go the way of the nominated home team more often than not. Bit of a quirk, really. But uh, yeah, I do fancy Roma this weekend at those prices, basically down to the teenies as well as the data. Two northern powerhouses go head-to-head. Juventus against Inter, always known as the Derby d'Italia. Stinch, this is a cracker. Inter, it strikes me, are in very, very good form right now. I know they lost to Bayern in midweek, but it was a it was a meaningless game, really. But in general, they've really picked up. Juventus, so many injuries, still look well short. Yeah, I think this is a very similar approach to, to Mark's uh, Roma bet, which basically to oppose Juventus because of their, their injury crisis, essentially. Uh, Inter chalked up as 13 to 10 favourites, so you can actually have a bit of security and back into minus a quarter on the Asian handicap on the exchange around about 2.1. So again, if, if, they, if it finishes in a draw, you get half your state back. Um, yeah, I think with Juventus likely to be without or have doubts over Moise Keane, uh, Vlaovic, Di Maria, Paredes, Bremer, McKenney, Pogba and De Chilio, I, th- I think, you know, you have to have to be opposing uh, Juventus. I, th- I think, you know, eventually they'll be happy with a point here. I think Allegri will set up in that manner. Um, so it'll be on the... the Initiative will be with Inter from the, from the beginning. I mean, you look at Juventus against PSG in midweek. They're forced to play six players that I assume probably would be teenagers, but actually they're all like early twenties. They had to basically go and fetch them from the under twenty threes that would, yeah. you know, never ever envisage ever playing for Juventus. You know, be one of those that they loan out or send out permanently at some point. So the fact they had to use six of those was 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 you know a real stretch and. We've seen them in how bad they've been in the Champions League, lost five of their six uh, group games and lucky to be in Europe, really, in a way. Yeah. Um, and if you had, you know, if you said it was 50-50 shot between them and Maccabi Haifa, who finished third you, at the beginning, you'd have said no chance. Um, and you look at them in Syria, it's not been as bad, but they are overachieving defensively. They're the biggest uh uh, teams in terms of uh, expected goals differential versus the actual goals conceded um, and across all their comp- all the competitions they've lost all four games where they've been priced up as as underdogs so the, the market in the games the market doesn't expect them to do well in they have have lived up to expectations there 
Inter have stuttered this season. They did start very, very poorly. Um, but as you mentioned, they have seemed to have turned it around recently with just that one defeat in eight. And against Bayern, they did heavily rotate. And they had full eyes on this fixture. Um, you know, they weren't interested at all, I don't think, in the game midweek. Lukaku is a slight injury doubt, but he has been absent for quite a few games. I still think they have enough firepower in Lataro, Edin Zeko, Joaquin Correa. Uh, Barella's added goals to his game. And you've still got the likes of Mkhitaryan and Kalinoglu you can call upon as well. Generally, the matches between these teams are quite tight. There were four meetings last season, Inter won one and the other three were draws. But actually, in the two cup games, Inter went on to win an extra time. So I think Inter ultimately will ha- do have that superiority. And with uh, Juventus's injuries issues, I think Inter could get it done in 90 minutes, essentially. Um, there was another bet that I think was looking at was over two and a half goals because it chalked up as the, the outsider here. Um, and as I say, generally these games between these two are quite tight, but staggeringly, 17 of Inter's last 19 games in Syria have been over two and a half goals. You know, look, you only have to look at them this season. There's been 42 goals in their 12 games so far this season. And I just thought overs look quite good at 19 to 20, but ultimately concerned if Juve could could contribute how if they they would with with all their injury issues so if you were to go down that route maybe actually the better bet there would be back into to score over 1.5 goals at a, at a at an even bigger price but yeah I think ultimately Inter are going to be the team that's asking the questions in this game so ultimately should be siding with them and opposing Juve. To the beautiful Spanish city of Seville Betis despise Sevilla. Sevilla hate Betis. It's one of the most passionate local rivalries you'll find in Spain and beyond. Demet, what do you make of this one? Yeah, this is definitely definitely a game. I have I, I, I have uh, circled on the on the bucket list, hoping to get to in, in future years. Despite kind of we know Jorge Sampaoli has come in come in come in as Sevilla manager in recent weeks, and he has made them slightly more competitive. But Sevilla still still sit, sit in the relegation zone, and their expected goals numbers suggest that, that that's by no means a false position. Whereas Betis are kind of um are are are. are are kind of a, a fairly strong contenders for 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 a fairly for a fairly open top top four race in La Liga, and and again the XG numbers say they may be slightly slightly worse than that, but even still, I think Betis are a pretty solid team. Where and then I, th- I think Sevilla, even even with some improvement expected under San Paoli, look look kind of a more of a mid table bottom half type team. And given all of that, we're getting we're getting around two point two on on Betis here. Looks more than fair to me. I was I was thinking the price in my head. I'd have, I'd have Betis slightly odds on. So I think there's definitely a bit of a, definitely a bit of value here on Betis. It's the Dutch version of El Clasico or De Clasica this weekend as Ajax face title rivals PSV. Stinch, this is a cracker because they're both going really well in the Eredivisie at the moment. Yeah, first v second, I think this could be an absolute blockbuster. Ajax chalked up as four to six favourites uh, over and over two and a half goals. No surprise, very short price at two to five. I mean, they met in the Super Cup at the beginning of the season. It finished five three to PSV in in Amsterdam, and I'm hoping that. You know, that's basically the template for what we might see on a Sunday afternoon. Ajax have scored 38 goals in their 11 games. PSV have scored 40 in 12. And it's just one point separating them. It's been over two and a half goals scored in 14 of Ajax's last 15 at home. Over two and a half in 15 of PSV's last 17. So it's no surprise really that the goal line is, is at 3.5 and, and overs is priced at 11 to 10. But I think if you're backing four or more goals... 
why not back both to score at least two at 14 to five? I think there's a massive difference there between 11 to 10 and 14 to five. And I don't, again, I don't think there's anything to suggest we should basically see a basketball match and, and similar to what we saw in the Super Cup. Um, PSG, PSV, sorry, obviously slightly weaker of the two. So no surprise to see in their big games this season. There's been a, a glut of goals. Uh, uh, 4-3 against Feyenoord. It's 2-2 against Monaco. 2-2 against Rangers. And then you look at Ajax when they've when they've been the the weaker of the of the two in, in their matchups. They lost 4-2 v Napoli, 6-1 v Napoli, and they caused Liverpool loads of problems. You know they lost 2-1 and 3-0, but definitely definitely I think Liverpool were fortunate to essentially come away with a with a 5-1 aggregate win there. Definitely should have, could have could and should have been closer. I just can't not see goals with the likes of Mohamed Kudos, Brian Bobby, Steven Bergwijn, Berghaus, Tadic for the home side up against Cody Gakpo, Javi uh, Simmons, Goose Till, uh, Joey Veerman. Like, uh, Van Nistelrooy seems to have done a fantastic job to have yeah. got them all singing from the same hymn sheet uh, immediately. You know, um, Simmons and Till obviously came on, came in during um, the transfer window. Veerman came only came in last season. Um, so yeah, I think both teams to score. It, I mean, both teams to score. It's only two to five. If you ask them to basically do the same again, it's fourteen to five, so nearly three to one. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really really nice. And then there was another bet I quite like, which is if uh, Mohamed Kudos starts, and if he starts as a central striker, I th- quite like him at nine to five to score. Wow, Consid- is that what he is? Nine to five. Yeah, considering Ajax are four to six, and it's a goal heavy game, I would. Price him closer, sort of eleven to ten, six to five. Yeah. Um, he's got fifteen goals and only twenty-one starts in in his IS career, and he, he's chalked up as only the fifth most likeliest. When I think he should arguably be the first or second. You know, probably the same price as Tadic, given Tadic is on penalties. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get a massive goal fest on the uh, on the the three three forty-five. It kicks off at Sunday afternoon. Yeah, Kudus looked really good against Rangers in midweek, but then most players look good against Rangers at the moment. Uh, plenty of interrailing around Europe, but before we get to our next destination, we're going to take in another Premier League game. It's the James Tompkins Classico between West Ham and Crystal Palace, Emmett. Yeah, kind of an interesting, interesting, somewhat interesting game here. I think my main... My... <laughs> I like that you started with interesting and thought, that's a bit strong. I'll downgrade that to somewhat interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think we think there will be definitely better, definitely better football matches on on Sunday. But I think the the most important thing for this podcast is can can we make money money on the game? And to me, this this stood out as the best value bet of the Premier League this weekend. While we, while West Ham sit behind Palace at the table, the XG numbers would suggest that West Ham are were be- are, 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 are a better team. West Ham's XG numbers are better than both Man United and Chelsea sitting sitting around sixth or seventh, whereas Palace's XG statistics are more in line with Everton on the verge of the relegation zone. Some of that is due to kind of Palace's having kind of difficult early season fixtures. But I've been I've been pretty concerned how bad Palace have been recently. They were badly beaten like at Goodison Park, and I watched their board draw at Leicester a few weeks ago, and they were extremely fortunate to get a point. They've only managed 0.3 XG against Leicester, who had one of the worst defenses in in the league at that point. They have tightened up recently, but even still, that was that was quite alarming to me. I, having watched Palace a lot last year, I, I, Conor Gallagher was, Gallagher was a massive player for them, and probably even more important than Wilfred Zaha. I think they really are missing him in terms of linking that mid, that, that midfield and the attack. And at the Pal- Palace are, I think, a team of 
declined quite a bit from last season where they were kind of pushing towards top, top seven, top eight in terms of the XG. And even though West Ham, West Ham are playing in the Conference League uh, on, on Thursday, this is a much improved West Ham squad. I thought Tilo Kerr was was really excellent against Man United, and he's and he's clearly improved them. I think Jared Bowen's kind of coming towards the form that's kind of got him in the England squad. I hope and will be extremely motivated to try and make that. And all in all, I I West Ham closer to probably one eighty five in the exchange in terms to win this game, and you can get them get them around two point oh. I think that's I think that's plenty of value, and they look a. They look kind of a kind of a banker for all uh, Sunday accumulators to me. And Mark O'Hare in his back pocket, of course, has a ticket to Liga. What have you got for us, Mark? Goals, I imagine. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, the game between Lille and Wren. Um, we talked about Lille going to Lyon last weekend, expecting goals. We didn't get them. It ended 1-0. Ended Lille's three-game winning streak. They lost a the match. But they can take loads of confidence from that game. And Paolo Fonseca, their head coach, was really kind of full of praise for his players after it because they won the shot count 15-5 they had eight attempts from inside the penalty area really did everything but score in the game so they'll feel that they're more than capable of of kind of uh, righting those wrongs this time around they're at home against Wren Wren involved in European action on Thursday night but Lille are projecting as a top three team in France right now on expected points uh, and various different rating systems that was the first time they'd failed to score all season in Ligue 1 and only PSG have scored more goals than Lille this season. We've talked about the individuals in forward areas as well as the approach under Fonseca. It is front foot, it is proactive, it is progressive. So I expect them to get on the score sheet this time around. Unfortunately, things aren't quite as serene defensively. Uh, there is a bit of fragility about them, particularly when they're coming up against uh, kind of the bigger teams in France so far this season. So although it was very early in his career, early in his, his Lille career, uh, Fonseca's Lille career, PSG scored seven here back in August. Monaco have scored three, Nice two, Lorient and Marseille have each scored at least twice against Lille this season. Uh, so... I was looking at over two and a half goals and both teams to score here around about even money. Uh, obviously, Ligue 1 has been high scoring this season. Lille very much offensively minded. But Rennes too are very much front foot too. And they're in fantastic domestic form at the minute. I'm beaten in nine, seven wins in that spell. They scored, uh, they scored won their last five, scoring 14 goals. Um, they only failed to score once since the opening weekend of the season. Um, and their matches are actually averaging 3.08 goals per game as well. So all six Ren away games have seen both teams score. Nine of their most recent 11 across all venues in Liga have broken the over two and a half goals barrier. Uh, and as for Lille, overs in 10 of 13, BTS in 10 of 13 already. Uh, I think it's got all the ingredients of being a, a bit of a thriller really um, on Sunday evening. So you've got that to compete with uh, Ajax and PSV. And I think the Derby Capitale is on at the same time as well. So uh, plenty of uh, options for quad screening if, if you can. Yeah, if ever you wanted to uh, invest in extra audio-visual equipment, I think this is the weekend. That's all we have time for on what is a bumper edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of other shows on the Betfair network. You've got NFL Only Better. You've got a couple of racing shows as well. We've got a special World Cup preview coming up with some amazing guests joining me and Mark O'Hare. So keep an eye out for that one. From Stinch, from Mark, from Emmett and from me. It's goodbye for now.